my name is Brian Martin and you are listening to episode 12 of season 2 of the Running Technique Tips podcast, the season where we're looking at all things 5K training and racing. I'm now joined by my co-host, the lab rat, Lisa Biffin. How are you going, Lisa? I think you have aptly named me this week, actually, because I have actually been a lab rat every day. I think I've been in and out doing something. But, uh, you, you must have like a case of perpetual white coat syndrome from all of the uh, – that, that'll up your heart rate oh, and your I blood t- pressure. I, well, I'll tell you what it's decreasing is my bank balance. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, But anyway, the price you pay for your health. But um, yeah. I'm actually – no, I'm – so this week I'm feeling quite good. I Last week I had my iron infusion and I actually think it's starting to kick in. I'm no longer right. – under the sort of cloud of fatigue or that sort of hazy fog that I kept describing it as and I'm now able to get out of bed feeling like I've actually rested and and been to sleep Um, and I actually only had three hours sleep last night because my little one was a bit unwell but I'm, I'm actually feeling more rested off three hours than I was when I was struggling with that low iron, when I was having nine to ten hours, so uh, something Ooh, you're the full of iron lady now. I am. You're full of full of beans. <laughs> something uh, something has worked there, and you know I've had low iron before, and I think when you sometimes sit back and reflect about some of the symptoms that you have, and then you find out what's actually going on, it all makes complete sense, and then you know that remembering what normal sort of feels like. I I sort of liken it to when you, like you're sick and you might just have, say, the common cold and you're thinking, oh, I'm I'm not feeling great but I'm sure I'm okay. But then when you finally are back to 100%, you realise how lousy you felt. Yes. Yeah, so it's, it's one of those insidious ones that creeps up on you so you don't really notice it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I'm I'm starting to to feel a lot better and I'm actually going back in I haven't booked it in yet, but probably in about 2 weeks to get my get another blood test done just to ensure that the results are starting to head in the right direction. So Hopefully, my ferritin levels will be a lot greater than 14 like they were. Excellent. That sounds good. And mm. what else have you been doing? You had some other tests lined up for the last week, didn't you? I did. So, I've had a whole bunch of things. So, I had an abdominal ultrasound because I had that peculiar liver reading where my mm-hmm. GP half questioned, oh, what was my alcohol consumption like? <laughs> your, your secret alcohol life. <laughs> So my closet alcoholism has been put to bed. So that result came back as normal. And that's actually one of the reasons we're going to do this blood test again, just to see whether or, you know, the body has, I don't know, recalibrated itself, I suppose. Mm. And that's back to normal because that really just was an anomaly. It was very odd. Uh, Maybe it was a false positive. That's what they call that, isn't it, or something? Yeah, yeah. It was. I'm not sure, but a bit, bit peculiar. But anyway, um, everything's fine. And then I had an MRI brain scan and that was because I had mentioned that I was constantly getting lots and lots of headaches. And have you ever had an MRI uh, done before anywhere in the body? No, I have not. Mm. That's one of the procedures that I've not encountered to this point. Well, for anyone out there that hasn't or isn't aware, it's basically one of those, I guess, maybe like a spaceship sort of machine and you Mm. lie down and you basically get pushed under this machine. It's kind of like a maybe a giant coffin even. That's sort of how I think of it. And I've had it done before just on my, like for my knee. So you only go up to your waist 
and I suffer from claustrophobia. So I was feeling a bit anxious, I'll be honest. And the the gentleman that was doing the scan, I think I think he saw that I was like super cheerful and chatty. And then as soon as we lay down, I think I went a very white shade of white. <laughs> <laughs> and he sort of was like, Are you okay? And I thought, Oh, I actually said to him, not really very good in enclosed spaces. And then they give you this emergency sort of pump that if you're starting to stress out, you squeeze it and then they pull you out straight away. But he just said, look, if you do yoga, just, you know, do some yoga breathing. And then I actually started to think of you, Brian, I was like, Let's do yeah. Brian's breathing. Four, four breathing. <laughs> exactly. Pretend so you're running. I was lying there and I think I turned even whiter again because they then put like this cage over your head. Like you can yeah. see out of it, but I just, well, I'm actually starting to feel the anxiety creeping out. Yeah. I was thinking about it again. And Sounds it, awful. Oh, it, yeah. And he said, look, it's okay. We actually put mirrors on this as well. And as soon as he put the mirrors on, I started to calm down because the mirrors, when you looked up, you actually could see everything as though you had your normal Uh, vision. So it wasn't as though you were enclosed in this tiny little box. Yeah. So that was quite reassuring. And then you go in, down, in, like into the machine and the mirrors actually aid you to sort of see the room. So you're not thinking that you're actually just, again, in an enclosed box. So all in all, it actually wasn't as bad as what I thought it was going to be. I think if those mirrors weren't there, it would have been, oh, I, I really would not have liked it. But you have headphones on because the machine's very noisy. Mm. And you're under there for about 15 or 20 minutes. And so you've got headphones in and they're playing music, but all you can hear is like, which is, you know, a fabulous sound right up near your head. Not good. No. So anyway, that was done. And then I actually got those results back straight away and that was clear as well. So so I was was two from two. So I had a tick for the brain, a tick for the liver, and then I went in to see the cardiologist. So your giant brain is in good nick. That's good to, good to know. <laughs> it, it, it was actually quite a reassuring uh, result to come back as being yeah. normal as well. So then, I'm surprised that you are normal, oh, truth be told. Well, <laughs> I'll be honest, they didn't actually use the words normal. Uh, okay, all right. <laughs> they said clear, so... Uh, clear, okay, right. So, uh, yeah, probably still a bit abnormal. But then I had the cardiologist and I had booked in to do a stress test and I had all my runners and things with me. But unfortunately, I think it's the way often with a lot of specialists, you know, you often need to meet the specialist and and sort of talk through your symptoms. And then he he did do an ECG and a couple of other little things whilst I was there, I guess, before it needs to be confirmed whether or not you actually this is the right thing that you need to be doing. Mm. So it it was, in fact, the right thing that I need to be doing, but the treadmill was booked out for the day. So so I'm actually going back on Monday. Today's Friday, so it's only a couple more days, and I'll be on the treadmill. And he said that I'll probably be on there for about 20 minutes and they'll just continue to raise the incline on the treadmill just so that we can start to see some of the the issues that are going on. That sounds fantastic hauntingly familiar to the test that I had where I smashed up my calves and shins on that really steep incline. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So as I said last week or the week before when I couldn't get in straight away, it was probably a bit of a silver lining because I actually couldn't run on that sort of strained calf that I had. 
but the mm. body's uh, the body's starting to feel a bit better. But uh, look, you know, when you I don't know whether you feel that this I've I've seen a lot of specialists in my time with all of these surgeries that I've had. You sort of go from your hectic, busy life and you know the, the work that we all do, and, and you find yourself sitting there at the mercy of someone and puts a lot of things into perspective very quickly, doesn't it? Yes, it does. <laughs> yes. I was looking yeah, everything around. else doesn't yeah. doesn't seem very important. No, it really doesn't. And I, I always come out of, you know, speaking with someone in the medical profession who's, you know, got so much knowledge in a specialist area and I'm always just in awe of them thinking you know, what you do is just so significant versus what I yeah. do is so insignificant. So I usually spend a week in deep reflection after that. Deep reflection. Oh, no. <laughs> it could be some kind of midlife crisis coming up by the sound of it. Oh, well, it is my birthday on Tuesday, so maybe it is some sort yeah. of, maybe not quite mid, but we'll just say it just over quarter life crisis. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's time for Dr. Lisa. You could go back and train as a doctor uh, well i don't think i could i'm not very good with the side of blood so <laughs> ah, okay yeah that could be problematic yeah a bit problematic but anyway um the cardiologist he was brilliant he actually runs marathons as well so that gave me an enormous amount of comfort that he would have a lot of empathy for my current situation in you know not being able to run yeah it's interesting you say that about the cardiologist being a runner it does give you that extra level of comfort that they're mm. going to understand that you're the kind of person that you know likes to push yourself is quite fit and is used to exp- used to experiencing quite high heart, heart rates from a voluntary perspective um, yeah yeah so like what is he you've so you have basically had an ecg you didn't have the stress test so did he give you any indication of what he thinks might be going on yeah so he gave me three possible suggestions and of course none of these can be actually validated until i have this stress test but one of them is that this stent that i have that it may have dislodged but he said and even I feel that that is highly highly unlikely just because of the way that I'm feeling I think I Mm. would be pretty much aware if I had you know that sort of hole in my heart type of scenario thing again yes I reckon I'd be feeling pretty unwell too but so that that's one uh two that maybe just as we all know that average heart rates or you know maximum heart rate heart rates are all based on averages and data and there's outliers that sit at either end of the spectrum. I simply may actually be one of those that sits at the higher end of the spectrum or that I have something called, and please excuse my pronunciation, <laughs> called supraventricular tricular tachycardia. Uh, yeah, uh, that's yeah. a mouthful. Also known as SVT. So let's go with SVT and my very limited non-medical understanding of this so this is layman's terms everybody is that your heart you know has two chambers and one you know basically pumps blood in one pumps blood out blood out but there's like these electrical currents that run in you know like circular motions in each of the chambers but because my heart has the stent that potentially one of the like electrical currents is detected like an abnormality and mm-hmm. so therefore then has shot off and created then this like second Dairy little circuit, I suppose you could call it, which is then you've got a short circuit. Yeah, basically a short circuit, exactly. So you've got your short circuit off doing its tiny little, really fast 
circuits and then you've got the normal ones that are all of a sudden having to work harder because they're not in their usual nice rhythm. So therefore, it correlates to just that crazy, Mm. crazy spike that, you know, goes from one minute fine to the next minute up and then that struggle to really bring it back down so put my amateur cardiologist coat on for a second (laughs) like the the second option that he detailed doesn't sound that likely because not only did you have the high heart rate but it was accompanied by you being breathless and yeah um yeah not feeling very well and you know all that yeah exactly and i think you know i of course i've only just gotten this heart rate watch so that I'm monitoring the heart rate a lot more but it really as you said it, it's also just how I'm feeling like I know the last sort of year to 18 months I've been doing a lot more aerobic work but prior to having my second daughter I sort of made a bit of a track resurgence and was really focusing on wanting to break 10 minutes for 3k so I was doing a lot of vo2 max type of workouts and I just didn't have this same type of feeling and I ended up running 10 17 I think was my quickest for the season it was my sort of my first go of the 3k and that was the quickest I'd run in 10 or 15 years and I actually felt great and to the point where you know I had a couple of niggles after that so I didn't quite get to continue that on I wasn't getting the same type of you know struggles that I was getting it that I'm feeling now so something has changed is basically what Mm. I'm trying to say he also said that that this SVT is quite a common occurrence due to this surgery that I've had so yeah so anyway it's nice to have a a possible hypothesis yes (laughs) we'll obviously have some more solid results come Monday so I'm seeing him I'm doing the test nine o'clock in the morning and then I'm seeing him directly afterwards just to read that the results and again I've done some of my own Google searching for possible solutions on something that's not yet confirmed that I have but (laughs) the things that we do looks like there's lots of fixes just really from you know some medications or you know some basically non-surgical non-invasive kind of techniques so I don't know my gut tells me that it's going to be a a semi-easy fix and I'll be able to get back on track pretty quickly. Yes, sounds good. And you've ruled out a whole bunch of other things that are going on at, by doing yeah. those other tests as well. So yeah, exactly. you're getting closer to nailing it down, which must feel like progress. Uh, it really is. And I must admit, so I've still been training over this time and training very much to heart rate. And I will talk about that in a minute. But I'm finding myself in a bit of a, a limbo land. As we know, I love plans and lists and goal setting. And I'm really struggling to be able to do that at the moment because I've got this element of uncertainty in my life. So I'm finding myself turning up to training or during the day going, "Mm, I know that I should do something because it's, you know, just (laughs) from a general life perspective, it's quite good. But yeah, just I'm I feel like I'm floating a little bit at the moment. Mm, it's that uh, loss of control. Yes. <laughs> makes us control freaks feel very uncomfortable. <laughs> very uncomfortable. I'm not very good at just going with the with the flow. So, but anyway, I'm, I'm getting closer and uh, I really am quite happy that, as you said, I'm, I'm ticking off some of those other things that were, were seeming a little bit concerning. So, very l- good. Yeah, yeah, lab rat status. But I want to tell you about my training session that I did last night. Do. And again, because I've now been really conscious of my of my heart rate, so I did 
I'll tell you what the session was supposed to be. It was supposed to be two by 600, two by 800, two by 600 with 60 seconds in between each of them. And like the way I've been approaching all of my sessions at the moment, I want to stay under 150 beats per minute. And the minute it goes over that, I stop. And if I can't continue running with it being, you know, under that, then basically that's the session done. Can I ask so, a quick question before you go on? Is yeah. That, was that, is that supposed to be a, a threshold type session or a VO2 max type session? Uh, so it was meant to be a, so for everyone else that was doing it, it was meant to be a VO2 max type okay. of session yep. because it's, I think, about 4Ks worth of effort yes. in the end. So, you know, replicating and the others actually had a 400 at the beginning and the end but I was sort of given a a modified version Mm -hmm. (laughs) and a bit of an asterisk next to it so this is good so you're basically doing cruise intervals which we're going to talk about later (laughs) yes perfect it would be a perfect segue but I'm not I don't have pace at the moment on my watch face it's purely Mm -hmm. heart rate so I I took off and I did the first 600 and my average heart rate I think was 144 and that Mm -hmm. time was a two minute 13 so that equates to I think about a 342 sort of average which is which is moving, which is, again suggests I am actually quite fit once I get this heart thing sorted. Yes. Then did the next 600 and it was 211. Uh, average heart rate was around the same, that sort of mid-140s. And so that's about 340, so still in that ballpark. And then I took off for the 800 and I was monitoring my heart rate, mid-140s, you know, going along really nicely. And then I hit 650 to go and I looked down and my um, heart rate said 142. And I was like, okay, perfect, 150 to go I think I took about 10 steps I looked down and my watch said 180 beats per minute like it just it's disconcerting (laughs) literally spiked and again then I started to feel breathless and all the rest of it and I was just thought I'm stepping off so I stepped off and my training partner did her next rep and and I actually waited for her to finish to watch my heart rate get down into the low hundreds and then I I did a final 600 but my heart rate I think that that blew out to about a 222. Whoa Um, so whatever switch is getting flicked (laughs) you you flicked it. Yes and then on my warm down I actually sent you these statistics I was running five minute 50 pace and my average heart rate I think was about 178 or 180 it just would not go down so yeah it's uh, something's going on basically. Yeah. Anyway, we'll uh, we'll have some answers soon, and in the meantime, it's just some slow jogging for me in the weekend. That's good. Yeah, that, that data you sent me was quite concerning. Not being able to um, get your heart rate under control when you actually stop running—not <laughs> ideal. Not ideal. Yes. Well, and I think that's when you know that there's something more going on. When you know, I'm actually just standing there on the side of the track, watching my heart rate. You know, go 158, 160, 164. <laughs> I'm thinking I'm stationary. This is not what normally happens. <laughs> Definitely so, not. And in terms of your week of training, like what did you roughly end up doing overall? Do you know what? So I, I took myself by surprise. Last week in my mind, because I'm in this sort of land of limbo, I thought, oh, I'm lucky to have done 40Ks. Ended up with 60Ks for the week. And, yeah, and this week I'm I'm tracking for around 70. So it's interesting actually running to this heart rate and being incredibly diligent. Like I know that we've taught, we speak a lot about training to heart rate, but, you know, I'm not always as diligent as you in that. But with training to this heart rate, I actually feel fantastic. And I guess I'm able to get out these kilometres without feeling ruined. So, Maybe there, maybe there's something in it, Brian. I'm, I'm, predict, I'm predicting your future is as a pure marathon runner, and you're just going to become an aerobic animal. 
Well, you actually said something to me during the week and uh, I've been thinking about this a lot and you said something along the lines of, well, maybe this is a good thing and the decision of you know other events has been taken out of your hands so you can basically just focus on doing one thing really, really well. And, yeah, I sort of thought, you know what, that's – actually not a bad thing probably suits your hectic high stress lifestyle as well because <laughs> if you're doing the majority of your running at a less stressful pace then probably uh yeah it won't won't necessarily impact the rest of your health and well-being as much as if you're having to smash out really hard sessions to try to mm. beat me over 5k which you managed to do anyway <laughs> but yeah, so anyway, once we sort of find out what's going on on Monday, I am going to talk to the cardiologist and especially now knowing that he's a, a passionate hobbyist runner as well. You know, what does that actually mean moving forward exercise-wise? You know, is it basically open slather and I can continue doing whatever I want or, you know, as we suggested, maybe it needs to I need to turn into a bit more of a aerobic beast and who knows what the future will hold? Maybe I'll be becoming one of those, uh, what are they, ultra marathon 100Kers or six-day adventurers. <laughs> the, Getting uh, into the ultra scene. <laughs> we'll see. But anyway, that's me in a nutshell. And, yeah, to be continued I think is the summary of that. But uh, what have you been up to? I have been recovering a little bit from my 5K park run last week and trying to just build some a few more miles. I think I mentioned last time that I was hoping to add to my mileage a little bit. So including the park run last last week, I think I got up to about 35K and we're recording a Friday. It's Friday, isn't it? It's, <laughs> it's Friday all day up, today. <laughs> losing track of the days. I've already got up to about 30Ks this week. And so, yeah, I'll probably end up with close to 50 kilometres, I, I think, this week when it's all said and done, which is good. So... Adding some mileage, did a nice long run of about a hundred and uh, sorry, one hour forty six or seven, which I think was only about fifteen kilometres because it was out in the forest and there was lots of walking up the hills and taking it easy as I as I went along. So I think I averaged about seven minute kilometre pace for for that time, but I feel like that's going to build a lot of good time on legs for the marathon campaigns that are coming up later in the year so yeah happy just to continue with the the walk running particularly in the forest like it's just mentally it's so much easier when you're going into a nicer more interesting environment and i'm kind of exploring some new trails as well so it's got that extra layer of interest other than just kind of running the, the same old flat loops for your marathon training so yeah Story you have to of kind life. of get over <laughs> yeah that's right you, you have to get over yourself and your ego a little bit and go well it's just too steep to, for my level of fitness to run up some of these hills at the moment. So just use just use it as um, really good base building. So, yeah, I think I'll probably plan on just increasing that long run and doing it as I was, as I was indicating on this kind of nine to 10-day cycle. So not really going to do a long run every week. It'll sort of only prop up about every nine or 10 days. So that's been good. I've been messing around with my gym program a little bit mentioned that it was about due for a bit of a change up and some of some of the people that were offended by my shallow squatting <laughs> will be pleased to know that um, I'm addressing that by doing some exercises I'm not I can't really do the squat any deeper without intervening by really chocking up my heels and doing some other things so I was just happy just to change some exercises to put myself into a into a deeper range of motion just as a bit of a change up so I'm doing some walking lunges just with the barbell and i'm also doing something called 
goblet squats, which uh, you do, well, I do with a um, with just a single dumbbell and kind of hold that almost under your chin. And then I, I do actually get into a kind of a more of a sumo position with my legs in that so I can squat a lot deeper with the sumo squat. And I think the um, just holding the dumbbell in front of me helps keep my um, help my balance a little bit so I can get a bit deeper in that one than, than the other one. So so I've been goblet squatting and walking lunging and I, I can tell you those walking lunges, man, they, they hit the glutes and hamstrings big time. So um, mm. that's probably going to take me a couple of weeks to, to get used to that. Yeah, and hey, I actually struggle first... on those. They really yeah. irritate my runner's knee. But I just, right. yeah, it, um, maybe it's good for to get some strength into them, but I have to avoid them. Yes. And look, I've probably avoided them in the past, not for that kind of reason, but just because I find them hard and I don't like them and they make my hamstrings work hard. But I think probably maybe that's telling me that I may need to get a little bit more strength there and look, although I felt a bit afterwards, I, I feel there's, there's probably a benefit for me there. I like that feeling of having a little bit more tension and stiffness, I suppose, around around the um, the hip and the knee joint that comes from that kind of exercise. And I did get a little bit sore after it. And I think the reason that happened was that, A, it's a new exercise and I haven't been working in that range before, but I think I did a few too many steps and I just kind of got sucked into that. Well, I'm doing walking just with a light bar so I can do a little bit more, but because of my lack of familiarity with the exercise, I, I probably should have just stuck to the kind of six or eight rep kind of thing. So when I went back today and did it for the second time around, I did it for probably about 10 steps, which meant I got sort of got five lunges on each side. And that was basically a set. And I did two sets of that. And, and that I could feel that I was working, but I didn't feel like my hamstrings were like glass and going to shatter the moment that I walked out of the gym. So I think I've reached a happy accommodation with that. And what else is happening? Uh, I'm planning on doing a cruise interval session tomorrow and maybe this is a good time to segue into our topic this week, which we we did just want to talk about cruise intervals, which is a, a variation of threshold training and we talked a little bit about last week about the anaerobic threshold versus the aerobic threshold and anaerobic threshold pace being around the kind of pace that you could theoretically hold if someone said I want you to run for an hour so not super fast um, and I haven't actually decided what I exactly what I'm going to do for my session tomorrow so maybe we can workshop that Lisa while we while we kind of yeah. talk this through a bit more how about that yeah it's good sounds good to me and as ever, and I know I refer to Jack Daniels's book all the time, but it is just <laughs> such—it's such a good reference guide for this basic kind of stuff. So you've got a reference point for the kind of physiological response that you're you're training for. And if you could do threshold training in one of two ways, and one of one of those ways is to just go out and run at a steady pace between twenty to forty minutes or so, and that's kind of the ranges that Daniels has in his book and in his training programs. Some people might do longer thresholds than that, and they probably would if they were doing well. Actually, no, let's not go there because that's just going to confuse the issue into <laughs> marathon pace tempos. But some people might go longer. But yeah, I'd certainly at the recreational level, and me, I myself at the moment am only looking to build up to doing a volume of threshold training of about 20 minutes. And and for me right now, doing a 20-minute unbroken threshold run 
is probably beyond my fitness level. And I'm also still keeping in mind that I'm still kind of betting down some technique changes. So doing like a 20 minute unbroken run is going to be a bit more fatiguing from a neural standpoint as well, where I just, you know, can I hold it together for 20 minutes? It's going to be easier for me to hold it together in shorter cruise intervals at a threshold pace. Mm. So whether they be, as I've done so far, done some 800 and 400 meter efforts, and I'm looking to kind of extend that out in this session tomorrow to something a bit longer, but but certainly not 20 minutes unbroken. So should we talk about heart rates? Yeah. The threshold? Yeah. yeah you know? I think that it's very topical at the moment. <laughs> yeah, that's that's right. And so Daniels puts threshold pace at between 88 and 92% of your maximum heart rate. And so to work that out, you've got to know what your maximum heart rate is to do it relatively accurately. And I'm, I'm not sure how many of us really know what our absolute maximum heart rate is. If I did my 220 minus my age, I'd be 176. But I know in my 3K time trial, I recorded 181 as I went across the line. <laughs> so <laughs> so that's I'm going to use that as my proxy maximum heart rate for me. And hey, I just a question on that. Yep. How Obviously, there's the formula 220 minus your age, which is yep. you know quite a an easy one to do. You can work that out. But like, how would you get a, a more accurate reading? Is it doing a race? I think doing doing a maximum maximal effort is probably the the best way to to try and find out what your maximum heart rate is. And yeah, doing that in a three or a five k race as you pass the finish line after you've delivered your withering finishing kick, <laughs> I reckon, is, is probably the time to have a look on your heart rate data to see what the maximum heart rate that you recorded during that race mm. was. And look, it's probably not going to be your absolute maximum, but it'll be probably pretty close and close enough for the purposes of working out a heart rate range. And if it is a little bit under what your maximum is, then I don't really see that as a problem if you then start doing the math on 88 to 92% because then you're just being a little bit more conservative and not risking straying into that kind of hard VO2 max type training, which is not the purpose of the, the threshold training. You're, you're trying to ultimately increase your threshold level so you can run faster at a given pace at a lower heart rate. So, yeah, if you're going over that, you're probably likely to push threshold down rather than up. And I must confess, I've listened to um, a couple of Lance Armstrong's podcasts. It's my dirty little secret. (laughs) 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 He's a bit of a shunned figure these days. He's actually quite a good podcaster. Um, Yeah, I have listened to a couple as well and he does speak very well. He does. And yeah, he was talking recently about the kind of threshold training that they used to do on the bike. And it was very much about training under threshold in order to push it higher. And yeah, he was pretty strong on the, if you were going over it, then you're more likely to push it down. So particularly if you're doing that kind of longer level, like if you start doing 40 minute thresholds, but they're actually in your VO2 range, there's a fair chance you're going to cook yourself and your um, lactate threshold is going to come down rather than go up. So Mm probably be inclined to to believe Lance on that. He would have no doubt had access to all of the, the world's bestest exercise physiologists and various other people in his time 
as a uh, as an athlete, <laughs> compromised as he was. <laughs> hey, um, what's your actual maximum heart rate meant to be? Two twenty minus your age. So you're sitting that's, at one that's seventy. Theoretical. Well, one seventy seventy six. Well, one seventy six. But sorry, what did but you say? You saw your watch get to in that one eighty one. Okay, so it's not a huge difference. We're not talking yeah, thirty beats per minute or forty like mine currently showing. <laughs> no, no, no. It's at least five over what my theoretical yeah, max okay. is. And, and as I understand it, that, that formula probably works for about a third of the population, yeah, right. the 220 minus your age formula. So you're going to have to take it with a grain of salt if you just use that. Probably more accurate if you've got a, um, a 5K type effort that you can refer to like I have. So yeah, I had the I think in my 5K race, I got up to 179, but in the 3K time trial, I got up to 181. Mm. So I'm going to use 181, which sort of gives me around, what does it give me? It actually, I th- hey, let me just work it out again because I just wrote down too many, too many numbers. By, I'll go in the middle so 90%. If I, if I go 88 times yeah. 181, it's about I end up with 159 I got. Oh, there you go. Yep. Yeah, which is sort of what I've that's what that's the heart rate zone that I've got programmed into my watch. So anything mm. above 160, I basically assume I'm in VO2 max. I'm in the red room, that's in my red zone. So I would prefer to be more conservative than what Jack Daniels has indicated in the sort of 88 to 92. I think if you're getting into 92, you're going to be flirting with getting into VO2 max range by accident and the more I'm kind of reading and hearing from various experts it's kind of like trying to hit an exact number for this kind of thing is probably counterproductive unless you've actually gone and had a full-on lab test where they're taking blood samples from you on the fly as you as you're working through a series of pace ranges but even if you've done that that's that's a reading that's taken on a given day at a given time and it might actually vary a little bit on a day-to-day basis just like like your heart rate does and, and other things. So I would be happy to work in a lower range. And so I basically put the ceiling on my threshold pace at the moment at the 88% level. So when I do this session tomorrow, whatever we decide it's going to be, I don't want to go over 160 beats a minute and I'll be happy to work in a sort of a 150 to 160 kind of range and be happy that I'm going to be getting the kind of stimulus that I'm looking for. The, the more I hear, the more people are saying it kind of doesn't matter that much about hitting the exact paces or hitting the exact heart rate with with the exception of going too far over. You can sort of see that as being counterproductive and a risk of cooking yourself. So when you do this session tomorrow and you've got your 160 ceiling that you're putting on, what's going to be on your watch face? Are you just going to look at the heart rate and that's going to be your, I guess, driver for the session or do you think, right, well, I should be running you know, 4.30 so I'll be, that's your driver? It's what you said first. I'm going to have my heart rate and the split time on my watch face. And look, if I was running on the flat, I might refer to my Daniels VDOT tables like we were talking about last week. And based on my recent performances, that's sort of saying my threshold pace is around 424s, mm. 424 kilometre pace. Because I'm going to do this on my loop up at the Dalesford High Performance Centre, which is a bit undulating and the surface is sort of gravel and not perfect. I suspect I'd be running slower than that anyway. So what I'm going to do is use my use my heart rate monitor as a guide. And the other reason why I want to use my heart rate as a guide is I'm because I've only done sort of like 800 and 400 cruise intervals at threshold so far, I'm not exactly sure how long I can hold 
the heart rate together, which is one of the reasons why I've been umming and ahhing about what the session will actually be. So it may be that I just play it by ear and say, well, okay, I'm going to run my first interval as say a mile and just see where how, how how I go at holding my heart rate steady at a reasonable effort in that kind of 150 range and if I start sort of blowing it then that's going to tell me that my next inter- my next interval needs to be a lot more a lot shorter than a mile so I might end up cutting it back but what I want to try and do is sort of get up to close to five kilometers worth of work in that kind of pace range and maybe that's a good time to talk about how much volume you should do mm. and I couldn't find an exact recommendation from Daniels about threshold pace when he dictates VO2 max sessions he says don't do more than eight percent of your total mileage in the session at that pace and I think given you know, most people would have heard about the 80-20 formula now in terms of doing 80% of your your training at aerobic levels and only 20% over. Well, I'd probably prefer almost like 90-10 to be a bit more conservative again. So if you're just doing threshold work at the moment and not doing any other kind of sessions and the rest of your sessions are aerobic, then I would probably say, and I'm pulling this a little bit out of the air, don't do more than 10% of your weekly mileage as threshold work. So I'm probably going to hit 50Ks this week without sort of pushing it too hard. So I don't want to do any more than 5Ks worth of worth mm. of threshold work. So I'll probably end up constructing it of decreasing length <laughs> intervals. So <laughs> if I had to guess, it'll probably end up being like a mile 800, 800, 400s, maybe sort of building up to um, something close to about 5k's worth of work yeah can i give you a couple of examples of some of the sessions that uh, i do on this yes um, please do yeah and and i quite like it so we've got um there's a couple of 1600 meter loops that we do and yeah. we often do between two to three i've never done more than three and yep. the efforts are pretty much decreasing, like you said. So the first one's about 700 metres. The cruise part between the effort is usually no more than 200 metres. So so they're not long breaks, but they're also, you know, not 50 metres. But then that decreases as well. So then I think the next one's about 500 metres and then the last one's about a 300 metre effort. And I have only actually ever done two because I found that that actually doesn't sound like a lot, but yep. they, you know, if you execute them properly, you certainly feel like you've you've had a really good session. So yes. that's one of my my favourite ones, and the, my other favourite one is it's actually a, a quite a lot longer. So it's five point three kilometres, but the efforts are longer, but then the recoveries are a bit longer as well. So the 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 longest effort seven hundred and fifty metres, and then the longest recovery is. 300 meters and this particular one we've got this amazing little sort of 5k loop that we do throughout the park near us and you know you might do a 700 but then and then you've got like a a 300 meter cruise and then the next one's about a 400 meter and then a 150 cruise and then it goes long again and short so it's always chopping and changing and but that is the longest one that I've actually ever done it's probably my favorite but when I finish, I'm usually like, I've, like I've worked, but I'm not on the ground, you know, absolutely spent. If it was, say, a, a full-on 5K of, of effort. What you're talking about, about it's 
shouldn't be easy. And I think Daniels describes it, it should be comfortably hard. <laughs> I like that so, too. Yeah. So you should, and that's one of the reasons why I kind of like it, particularly for recreational runners and particularly if you're not super, super fit is it's hard enough, but you're still going to be getting a good workout, but it's not so hard that you can't sort of hold your form together and run with a degree of control. So if you can't, then you're probably going too fast or the or the efforts are, are too long. Mm. I'm glad you talked about the recovery periods though because it's something that, again, I'm not 100% sure what I'm going to do mm. tomorrow. I suspect I might, again, play that by ear and just sort of use my heart rate as a bit of a guide rather than like what you were describing was basically like almost like a, a half half the volume of the uh, interval was recovery, so sort of like a fifty percent, which is which is not bad. You could recover for more more than that or less than that. So I, I think what I might do is actually have some kind of. I, I was thinking actually just walking recovery rather than <laughs> jogging recovery at the yeah. moment. Um, well, it's working for you. It has been, and yeah, there's nothing to say. Nothing that says that you have to jog. I'm going to be working pretty hard to get 5Ks of actual threshold pace workout. So having some walking recoveries in between, I think would actually be good and probably help me get my heart rate down to a level faster where I can commence the next interval again, focusing on doing it with good technique. So Mm. that's my theory there. So I might just do it by heart rate with walking recovery and then I'll sort of report back next week about what that actually meant in terms of time because it's more going to be a time thing rather than a distance thing if I'm walking there. So Mm. who knows? I suspect it'll probably end up being similar to what you've described. Like I reckon I'll end up doing half the time recovering before I do my next effort. Mm. So if if my mile takes me seven minutes or something like that, um, I'll probably end up recovering for at least three. Do you know, I actually like this type of training as well when I'm either feeling a bit tired, like what you mentioned before, because you can – you can do it so that you still get an effort, but you're not absolutely ruined so that, you know, if you are tired, you're, you're not putting yourself in jeopardy of any other injury or anything. Yeah. I actually find this a session that I can do on my own. And I know that you do a lot of training on your own, but yeah. I really struggle to do sessions on my own. I can go out and run for, for miles on a long run, but I find this one like it's not measurable and, you know, you don't need a track, you don't need an oval. You could just do it around the block where your house is if you really want to and and pick one of the ones that we used to do when I was in Ballarat was pick just, you know, places along the road. So, you know, from that lamppost to the the letterbox at the end. So you're starting to take the whole, oh, it needs to be 400 metres or it needs to be 500 metres. You're actually playing with different stimuli, which I think sometimes is a good thing when you've got the monotony of training or you're a bit run down or whatever. That's more of a kind of a a fartlek threshold. Um, I like it. So, Mm. yeah, very unstructured. And look, you know, I think I'll be... Because I know what the distances are on my loop, like I've got a loop that's nearly three kilometres, but Mm. it's made up of three sides of 800 metres and one of 500, I think. Mm. So what's that? I think that's 2,900 metres. But I could easily do it as like six-minute efforts, something like that, or seven-minute efforts or whatever I decided it to be. But Mm. since I've got the 800s there, I'll probably do them over 800 and just do them to heart rate. But equally, you could easily do them to time. Probably has some some advantages so that you don't kind of overreach too early. Like if 800 is too far for you to 
to hold your form together and keep your heart rate under your threshold, then you're going to have to cut that back again. So maybe you're better off doing it by time if you're um, if you're struggling there. So do you know, actually, this week, and it wasn't just because we were going to be talking about this, but the 5K threshold cruise intervals that I mentioned is one of my favourite ones. I've, I've done it, you know, maybe a dozen times since being here in Sydney. And I actually went back to look at the, the times that I have run this session in. And don't be fooled that you can actually still run some pretty decent times mm-hmm. by running this way, which for me has always been a bit of a lesson of then, you know, how, how does this correlate to my racing? And yes. it's a really good message to say, well, I don't need to smash myself in a race or, you know, go out like a lunatic in the first couple of Ks. Because just for example, my fastest effort of doing this uh, cruise interval averaged a 359 pace for 5K. And then recently I've done a couple in around a 404 and a 405. If I was so that's to, including your that's including your your jog recoveries. That's is including it? the jog recoveries, yeah. and it's always such a good wake up call for me to go. I feel pretty good at the end of this, you know. I'm mm. not I'm not ruined. My body feels pretty good. If I was to extrapolate that into an actual race, like a, a, even four oh four pace, that's a twenty twenty. That's um, what I did. Like. <laughs> that's yeah, and I mean, how ruined were you in you know in some of that? And here we are taking yeah. the pressure off ourselves to mm. the performance and and looking at other ways to run. And I'm not suggesting you know do a cruise interval in a race, but it's no. just working on that mindset shift. Going, not everything has to be totally flat out <laughs> to still have a good result. I think so, and I, I think basically, I think in one of the episodes earlier in this season, when I, I was trying to make the case for this kind of training as being more important for your recreational runner than trying to do VO two max intervals. So, and the reason for that is, you know, most recreational runners are doing their five k in probably somewhere between twenty to thirty five minutes, which is more like a ten k type type time frame for. Mm more elite runners Mm. so yeah like you mentioned last week me with my 2020 I wasn't going to be stepping onto the track against some guys who were (laughs) running 13 minutes or girls who were running about 15 minutes Mm. for 5k so I just think this kind of training makes and this intensity of training makes more sense if you're if you're a slower runner don't mean any disrespect by using the word slower but and you know you think about elite 10k for the for the men, the world records is in like the twenty six yeah. minutes, and I think the women is pretty low twenty nine. Yeah, um, exactly. So that's that's more like what most recreational runners would do their five k in. So it just makes more sense to me to kind of do this kind of threshold work because you're unlikely to be able to redline for the entire five k as I proved last week <laughs> um, without sort of feeling like you're going to be blowing up. So so you really want to be kind of like threshold pace through the first couple of kilometers and only kind of working into the red zone in the in the latter stages of your 5k i think at the the recreational rep level to sort of get your better performance mm. look there may be some outliers out there who can smash themselves and redline the whole way but uh, look i certainly can't do that at, at my current level of fitness that's for sure so no um training at a more forgiving pace and then translating that into your early part of your 5k might actually be a a good strategy for a better performance. And we did speak about it last week too, that often by cooking yourself too early, the time that you lose in, as we deemed it, the dreaded fourth k is often actually greater than what you've made up 
or gained yeah. by going too hard at the beginning. So it's, you know, often that whole saying of if you feel underdone at the finish, you've probably actually raced quite well. Exactly. And the, 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 different, the difference between my two efforts, my 3K time trial and the, and the 5K were kind of pretty stark in the way that I was able to finish off my 3K because I didn't cook myself early <laughs> and I was able to finish, you know, faster than what I'd done for the entire effort, whereas in the 5K I was kind of like dribbling home a bit more and not able to to run my fastest K in the last K, which if you paced it well, you probably should be able to run your fast your last five your last kilometer of a 5K as your, as your fastest mm. for the race. Yeah, exactly. That's cruise intervals. So, yeah, breaking it up into chunks, much more manageable than having to do it in larger stretches. I don't think we actually uh, finalised your session, though, tomorrow, did we? Okay, well, let's call it 1,600, 800. So what's that? 2,400, another 800 into uh, my math. I can't talk and do maths at the same time. So I'm going to go at 16, 3,200. I reckon I'll probably do 1,600, maybe three 800s. And that I'd probably need maybe a couple of 400s at the end to get up to close to my 5K. So hmm. something like that. Okay, very good. Well, get out there tomorrow and do it and then report back to us next week. I will. And look, I, I think, you know, what did I end up with heart rate-wise and pace-wise and recovery, I, I think will be the kind of things that I'll focus in on when I come back next week to report on how that session went. Very good. Yeah, well, maybe we should talk about what's coming up, but I've actually entered this 5K <laughs> now. <laughs> so I've committed. So I sent off my entry the other day. So I've put in my time of 2020. So I'm, I'm hoping to be graded into the appropriate um, slower gentleman's <laughs> section. Yeah, well, it's coming around quite soon. I actually entered probably about two weeks ago before I had committed to all of the you know, the, the doctors and being a lab rat. But um, look, I'm still holding out some hope that I get the green light to be on that start line. And then I think, you know, maybe a few days before we'll record and and put out a, a prediction for us. Yes. And look, I'm still hoping that I can get get down in a, into at least kind of the mid-19s, mid-1930s, I reckon, would be a reasonable step forward from where my park run was. And I've got enough time to, and I've already ticked one of those off, do a couple of lo- long runs, a couple of tempo threshold sessions, and at least one rep session before that race. So there'll be a little bit more training completed before then and a few more Ks. So hopefully I'll come into there with a little bit more fitness and be able to finish it off properly this time. <laughs> yeah, well, you maybe you try and attack that dreaded fourth K and, and finish out on top. Well, I don't know if about attack the fourth. I think survive the fourth K <laughs> well without losing too much time and then attack the last K. Like, yeah, I don't think I've quite got the, uh, the physical conditioning or the mental toughness at the moment to really attack the fourth kilometre. You uh, want to be a pretty brave runner to, to try and run that one as a fast K. Yes. Well, I don't, I don't think I, I literally haven't got the heart at the moment to run the fourth K. Poor little tin man with no heart. <laughs> Literally, I know. Um, well, this week for me is the main thing is the stress test. So yes. got the stress test, still just some easy jogging and heart rate jogging. And then hopefully once I find out what's going on, my mojo will be reinvigorated. Sounds good. And you're going to pack some heel raises for the stress test because that thing goes pretty steep uh, from memory. No, I hadn't actually thought of that. Mm. But look, I'm hopeful that maybe my heart rate will go off the charts. Early. Early. 
<laughs> he actually said to me, the, the cardiologist, he said, oh, you know, we're probably going to have to have you on there for a good 20 minutes or so to yeah. try and replicate what's going on. And uh, but anyway, maybe if they just bump it up to sort of 3.30 pace and I think we'll, we'll get the result pretty quickly. I guess it depends on how fast his treadmill goes because if it's not super fast, you'll have to increase the incline. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, yeah, and I actually haven't tested it over hills because I – I actually really like running hills and I think I've got quite a good style that runs hills well. So, mm. and I mean, you can't, you can sprint up hills, but you know, you can't run as quickly as, as if you're no. on a flat. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure what that'll, what'll do, but we'll find out shortly. Yes. Well, I'm very interested to hear of those results. So you better report those back for us next week and I'll we'll report do. back on my cruise intervals. <laughs> very good. You have been listening to the Running Technique Tips podcast with Brian Martin and Lisa Biven. Talk to you next week.